Welcome to the online ministry of Pacific Beach United Methodist Church, located in beautiful San Diego, California. Pacific Beach UMC is a member of the Reconciling Ministries Network and welcomes persons of all ages and backgrounds for worship, study, and service opportunities. More information can be found on our website at pbumc.org. May you be enriched by the hearing of these words, and may you receive and enjoy God's blessing. Today's scripture is from Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, and also Matthew 1, 1 through 17. From Isaiah 2, 1, 5, the word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And then in Matthew 1, 1 through 17, the account of genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rehob, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoabam, and Rehoabam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jehoiniah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation, after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel the father of Jerubabil, and Jerubabil the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born who is called the Messiah. No one can ever complain about their scripture passage assigned after today, right? (laughs) 
I don't think I've ever heard, um, you know, a round of applause for someone reading this, but it was well-deserved, yeah. <laughs> Happy New Year. You may or may not know that the Christian year isn't entirely aligned with the calendar year and that the Christian year begins today on this first Sunday of a season that we call Advent. Some of you may be very, very well acquainted with this season, having participated in Advent services and activities at church here or elsewhere in the past. Some of you may be kind of familiar with the notion of Advent, perhaps having purchased at some point in time an Advent calendar from Costco or Trader Joe's or Target, committing yourself to that ever-popular Advent spiritual discipline of eating one's way through the season day by day, one bite of chocolate at a time. Advent calendars are so mainstream now that even dogs and cats can enjoy a tasty daily treat throughout the season. Just go to Trader Joe's if they still have any left. And some of you may have never heard of Advent and are getting your very first taste of it here today. All of those things are just fine because we come to Advent individually and as a community of faith in a brand new way every year. This Advent isn't a cookie-cutter version of last year because the world is a different place. In the last 12 months, unimaginably beautiful things have happened and terrible things have transpired too. And we, of course, are different as well. Crushing things have occurred in some of our smaller worlds, and exquisite, joyful, life-giving things as well. So as we take our first steps into this brand new Advent season, it might help us to go back to the beginning, to the word itself and its meaning. Advent comes from a Latin word that simply means coming, It is the season when we are especially mindful of and preparing for the coming of Christ in the Christ child at Christmas, but also for Christ who comes to us, who comes alongside us in so many different ways throughout every season of our lives. So it's a season of anticipation, a season of turning our hearts, our minds, all of our senses toward that which is coming next. And I have to confess, I can feel a bit torn and double-minded when it comes to anticipating all that is potentially on the horizon. I want to be a person who anticipates hope and peace and justice healing, reconciliation, restoration, good things in my life and in our world. I want to be a person who holds fast to those things, believing in them, not letting them go until they finally come to fruition. But there's another part of me that casts a furtive glance toward the future, toward what may be coming next, and find myself more anxious than hopeful. What's coming next? 
we ask ourselves as we stand on the threshold of this Advent season 2022, is it more war, more violence, more disease? Please, God, anything but that. This season invites us to lean into the not yet. And admittedly, we do that with a mixture of hopeful anticipation and at least for some of us, a few stirrings of uneasiness and maybe even dread. This year, as I try to be intentional about Advent, I've decided to read a devotional book called All Creation Waits by a woman named Gail Boss. I've only read the introduction, so I can't tell you too much about it yet. But in the introduction, she points out that uneasiness or dis-ease isn't anything that ought to be judged, especially given the time of year. In the Northern Hemisphere, this time of year brings increasing cold and darkness. And in ancient times, she points out the increasing cold and hours of darkness brought with it fear that the light with its warmth, life, abundance was possibly gone forever, that it might never return. So even though our modern minds know that the world isn't ending, that the light will begin increasing again after the winter solstice that will arrive in just a few weeks' time, the animal part of us still experiences the dis-ease that so naturally companions all living creatures this time of year. So Advent, boss says, which is smack dab in the middle of these days of waning light and life, is the church's way of reminding us to wait, to be quiet and still in the darkness, like many critters do in the wintertime. Advent is the church's way of speaking hope and promise into time and space that feels so much like an ending in order to remind us that something, that someone is coming to offer a new beginning. So the season of Advent invites us to emulate the wisdom of creation and shed some things, to cast off what is unnecessary, to let go just like the trees release their leaves. Advent calls us to turn inward, to slow down, to focus on the essentials like so many creatures of the earth so naturally do at this time of year, which, as we all know, is entirely the opposite of what generally happens in our society, in our culture this time of year. In general, our culture turns on all the lights, ramps up the volume, and life gets brighter, louder, more hectic, sometimes even frantic this time of year. But Advent, a gem of a gift from the church, really, invites us to consider a different path, a path that is less busy, less hectic, a path that carries us through these dark days with practices that help us to turn inward, 
that help us to slow down, that help us to focus on that which is essential. One practice that we have a special opportunity to experience this year is walking the labyrinth. And I know that some of you may be familiar and some totally unfamiliar with this. And while the labyrinth is found in many religious traditions, in Christianity it has been most frequently been found inlaid on the floors of cathedrals in order to provide the experience of a spiritual pilgrimage. It's a tool for spiritual reflection that engages our minds, our hearts, our our whole bodies, really. And while at first glance, a labyrinth looks like a maze, but it's not. There is one clear but winding path to the center of the labyrinth and a clear and winding path out. I'm so thankful that Jesse, our director of education, has arranged for us to borrow the labyrinth that belongs to First United Methodist Church, and it will be set up in the social hall for an hour after worship each Sunday of Advent, so today and then the next three Sundays. I encourage you to give yourself an Advent gift and take advantage of the chance to walk a full-size labyrinth. There will be more instructions in the social hall, but to give you a quick preview, it involves taking off your shoes, so you might want to bring socks if you don't want your feet to be cold, and then walking the path to the center of the labyrinth, remaining as long as you'd like for a time of prayer and reflection, and then walking back out. There's no one right way to walk a labyrinth, but I've found it helpful to think of the journey to the center as a time of releasing worries and distractions, the time in the center as a time of being close to the heart of God for prayer and reflection, and the time journeying out as a time of returning to the world with perhaps a new or a renewed sense of God with us. One suggestion might be to carry the Advent word for that Sunday, hope being our Advent word for today, and holding that word with you gently as you walk the labyrinth to see what might come of it. This practice of walking the labyrinth and any spiritual practice that allows us to ponder, to pray, to slow down and reflect will invite us to prepare in deeper and more meaningful ways to receive the divine gift that comes in and through the darkness of this season, the gift of the Christ that comes to us at Christmas, that comes to us throughout our lives. This year during Advent worship, we plan to slow down and spend an extra measure of intentional time with the story around Jesus's birth and some of the people who were so much a part of that story. And we start today by acknowledging the story into which Jesus was born, into which his life flowed. Because Jesus didn't, with a snap of God's fingers, become incarnate, embodied, out of thin air. No, Jesus was born into a family that went way back, generation upon generation. Now, I'm guessing that at least 99% of you felt badly for Mary Margaret 
that she got stuck with that reading from Matthew today. And I, too, am grateful to her for taking it on. And truly, this passage from Matthew is probably not anyone's favorite piece of scripture. I know when I'm reading the Bible and I come to this genealogy in Matthew or any of the other genealogies in the Bible, I often, I confess, skip right over them, right? I see some of you making the motion just on to where the next words pick up. On one level, reading them is tedious and difficult and a little mind-numbing. We may have heard of a few of these folks, but for the most part, these names mean nothing to us. But when we zoom in and actually read or hear each name read, we are reminded that each name represents a life, a story, a unique thread in the tapestry of Jesus's family history. And the interesting thing about the genealogies of Jesus found here in Matthew and also near the beginning of Luke is that they're not the same. In fact, they're quite different. Matthew's genealogy focuses on Jesus's Jewishness and Luke's does not. And scholars attribute these differences to the fact that genealogies were written and rewritten to represent much more than legal bloodlines. They were at times driven by economics or politics, religion, and tradition. They said something about who a person was by pointing to who and where they came from. And so this genealogy is messy in a wonderful kind of way. If you actually tried to connect all these folks in neat, clean, orderly bloodlines, you'd have some trouble doing so. It's amazing to think about how God seems to graft people in, creating families by way of blood and adoption and life and love and choice and all kinds of other ways. And out of those generations came the life of Jesus. So we enter into this Advent season acknowledging the difficulty of these darkening days, very difficult for some of us. It is normal for us to be unsettled this time of year. Yet still we are here responding to the Advent invitation to stay attentive to the holy, trusting that God, with all of God's promises, continues to come to us and into this world. We are reminded of how the holy worked in the lives of the many generations that came before the birth of Christ, lives that prepared for, that gave way to the person of Jesus. And so many since that time have been a part of moving the work of God forward. We have received much. We have learned much from those who came before us, including those in our own messy and wonderful and dynamic family trees. And the holy continues to come to us in this generation, inviting our participation in this time and place, inviting us to be a part of God's promises as they are yet becoming. Thanks be to God who comes 
generation to generation, weaving hope through the past, the present, and into the future for all of God's beloved world. Amen. Let us pray. God of Abraham and Isaac, God of Tamar and Ruth, God of Mary and Joseph, we bow our heads today hoping to catch a glimpse or a shimmer of you. We know that you are here with us just as you walked with every generation before, so we bring you our prayers. Thank you for creating space for us. Thank you for seeing our scattered thoughts, our imposter syndrome, our fragments of doubt, and still saying, come on in. Thank you for seeing our ordinary selves with anxious concerns and unflattering habits and saying, I have bigger plans for you. Thank you for seeing our fragile egos and our uncertain relationships and saying, you still belong here. Your expansive love makes room for us to breathe and we want to love with our lungs and hearts full. So today we pray, teach us how to make that same room for others. When we come face to face with stories that are different from ours, show us how to add chairs to the table. When we find ourselves face to face with stories that frustrate and test our patience, show us how to build bridges instead of walls. When we find ourselves face to face with stories that feel foreign or unrelatable, remind us to open the door and to listen fully. From Abraham to Mary, you made room for every story and that love continues to make room for us. Teach us to do the same for our neighbor so this world we know will love. With hope we pray, using the words your son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.